Loudspeaker Studios. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Hangover Liberation Society, the podcast celebrating the unexpected benefits of living a zero-proof lifestyle. I'm Adrienne Vandervalk. And I'm Erin Ranta, and we are the co-founders of Reva Recovery Support and the originators of the Hangover Liberation Method. This week, we will be talking about how friendship changes in sobriety, what we thought it would be like, and some surprises that have come up along the way with our friendships from past and present. This topic really makes me smile because I get an opportunity to think about my friends, which at this point in the COVID-19 pandemic is something that, I don't know, I just don't get to revel in friendship the way that I used to. And I also moved during the pandemic, so I now live in a place where I don't have as many friends. And so the effort that it takes to stay in touch and communicate and nurture and maintain a friendship feels completely different now than it did two years ago. So I think this is good timing to be talking about friendship and reminding ourselves how important that is and what it really takes to be a friend and how that feels so different now than when we were drinking. This topic for me led me back into the past and it was actually quite emotional for me as I started thinking of friendships past and currently and just kind of how I've dealt with friends along the way of life. Uh, I went there. I went all the way back to the beginning. (laughs) Well, let's start with you then. How how far back did you go? And tell us a little bit about why it made you feel so emotional. So I went back to, I'd say, elementary, middle school, where I really honestly had a hard time making friends. And One reason was I was very shy, but one reason was also I had this growing disease. So I was four foot in middle school and I was just learning how in society looks matter and I was made fun of. And from that point on, I really got in my head that I wasn't to have friends unless I looked a certain way. And society did not help that. And There was nowhere that told me that like my personality or any other aspect would gain me friends or I should play up anything else. It was solely looks. And so I was really struggling. Um, It made me struggle emotionally at the time. But when I started to grow into a societally accepted height weight, I also paralleled that with starting to drink. So the shyness got kicked to the curb a bit while I was drinking and I was getting attention from boys and whatnot, but, and I was, you know, I had some friends, but then it all became intertwined with party friends versus real friends. How would you draw the distinction between party friends and real friends? I can probably guess and I have the same distinction, but I'm curious to hear about yours. I was somebody who quite quickly discovered that I could drink a lot. I morphed into, I don't know, nickname like The Fish, the one who could drink a lot, always closing down the party, although I was this very quiet person on the other side of the fence. So 
in the party scene kind of depends on what era we're talking about, but in this, let's just say in the restaurant scene, there were a lot of people that, you know, we spent hours after work together and we quote unquote bonded and all these plans made and all these secrets told. I don't even remember them now. I mean, we were not friends. It was solely, solely based on our using together. And, you know, Adrian, you, you touched on this in a past episode about, I think, boundaries and just how, you know, so many boundaries were broken in that sense that I would never have shared some of the things with these people because, quite frankly, they weren't friends. They were not looking out for my best interest and I was not looking out for theirs either. Some of the scenarios, the people were a lot older and maybe, I don't know, maybe should have been looking out for my best interest a bit more than I should have been looking out for theirs, but that's a different topic, I suppose. But then along the way, there were a few friends that remained that I had made earlier on. Those are my friends today that I still have, you know, the kind of friend that you don't talk to for a year. You can call them and they are there. You just pick right back up. But I also learned during this discovery the last few days, I really have had a lot of opportunities in my sober years to make new friends that I quite frankly have passed up. And I look back and it's some kind of self-sabotage that I honestly want to do more deep diving into myself. There's been situations where I've probably been welcomed into different social groups had I pursued it more and then I would just let it go or kind of seclude or run back into, you know, my little hole. And it's interesting for me to explore, but those same amazing friends remain along the way. Other than that, you know, my circle of friends has not grown that much because I haven't allowed it to, and I don't know why. I want to go back for a second to something that you said about those late night secret sharing times with people who are also drinking or using and how intimate that feels in the moment. But then now looking back on it, you realize that there's actually very little trust there and that those are not people that you should have trusted with your secrets and that that was like a false intimacy. And, you know, I've been very fortunate and had a lot of great friendships in my life, but I do know I have definitely gravitated toward hanging out with other people who like to drink and use A, out of convenience because they were always down to go out and B, because it felt like there was that shortcut to intimacy that bonded us prematurely or at least bonded us in my mind. And so there are a lot of people that at the time I would think back and be like, wow, I was such good friends with that person. I spent so much time with them but the only time I ever spent with them was drinking and that intimacy didn't translate into non-drinking scenarios. It didn't translate if, when I moved away. It didn't translate to periods of time when I was trying to drink less. And it sure as hell has not translated into a relationship now that I'm not drinking. I also know that I would not have to be held accountable as much. And it was just easier for me that way. And I feel bad about saying that because I loved many of those people. It's not that I didn't care about them, but it I would be lying to myself 
in terms of both friends and partners, if I said that how much they drank wasn't a factor because I needed to be around people who would not like shine the spotlight on me. And that doesn't feel very good to say, but it's, you know, it's part of my reality. So I do feel like I need to say that. Now that I'm also looking at the big picture of my friendship arcs, though, many of the friends that I do still have relationships with, their relationship with drinking has changed. Either they're now sober or they drink a lot less, or they kind of followed the natural trajectory of many adults, which is that over time they just prioritize work or family and drinking became less important. That wasn't my story. Drinking (laughs) stayed very important to me into my 40s, which is why I just had to stop altogether. But I've been able to reconnect with some people that I lost touch with. I've been able to mend some relationships that were damaged during that time. And, you know, some of those relationships just went away. And I feel sad about that sometimes, but life is impermanent. Life is change. And so trying to grasp onto something that's really not working anymore for whatever reason is not a good use of time or energy. And so like you think I probably have passed up some opportunities, but I also think that the sobriety cocoon thing is real. We're scared to put ourselves out there in case we might relapse. We're scared that we might attempt intimacy without alcohol and it won't work. So I think you and I can both give ourselves a little bit of grace there because at least I'll speak for myself. I'm still growing my confidence in that area. And COVID has not helped with that because we've had very little opportunity to practice. Confidence in general and then confidence in this area, always growing for sure. I also think that there are just traits that developed in my using years that are just not the best traits for maintaining healthy relationships. Things that just happen when you're using can get to a certain point. Things like not being honest, things like not following through, not showing up, just really, you know, things that don't give to a healthy friendship. So I think I'm, you know, scared that I will do that again. Sometimes I overshoot the mark where I get too worried about time and stuff like this because of things I've done in the past. It's funny because I almost have the opposite experience. I feel like when I was drinking, I would make plans with everybody and like double, triple book my plans almost because, and I would say yes to everything. I would say that I would do things for people all the time. And by some measures, I was actually a better friend then because I was, I made myself constantly available either because I wanted the excuse to drink or because I really felt bad about myself and I wanted people to like me. And so I just would make myself endlessly available to them in an attempt to like sway their beliefs about me really. And not, not so much because I actually wanted to be there for them. Now I no longer feel obligated to spend time with people in that way. So I actually spend a lot less time with people, but when I do, it's because I legitimately want to be there. It feels a little bit topsy-turvy. I think I'm actually a technically a better friend now, but way less available. It makes sense, though. You make yourself available then. Some subconscious guilt, perhaps, of totally your behavior. And 
they probably don't even know, but you are overexerting yourself to be there and seem like there's no problem at all. Right. Exactly. So much of that is an act. Yeah. We did the episode a couple episodes ago about my liver disease and a dear friend reached out, you know, not knowing about any of it. And I mean, this is because I was in and out of a certain friend's circle. Not to say they weren't in and out of being friends with me as well, which I understand, but I I also moved away and stuff. But I hit it until I couldn't. And, you know, it's just an interesting thing to think that something so drastic, a certain group of people who I considered dear friends didn't know. And there's no blame. It's all me. I, you know, I did my job. I tried to hide it as best I could. It's interesting in sobriety too, because I think I have in some ways picked up the bad habit of false intimacy from my drinking days and applied that in some sober attempted friendship situations where I assume that because I have being in recovery in common with people that will automatically be friends. And that's just not the case either. I mean, yes, it does make things a lot easier. There's a shorthand. You don't ever have to worry about people judging you if you don't want to go to a bar or whatever, but it does not automatically equal that level of trust and intimacy. And there's, you know, a huge diversity of ways that we approach being sober. And that reflects a lot of different kinds of values and personalities and all the things that impact your friendships too. So there's not just one way to be sober and there's not just one way to be sober friends. As a nonprofit, everything we do at Loudspeaker could not be possible without the generous support of our listeners. Become part of the Loudspeaker family and pledge your support now at loudspeaker.org. Another thing I just want to reflect on is that part of what kept me from getting sober for so long is that I very much felt like my social life would be over and my identity as a drinker felt so important to me that I couldn't imagine even having friends or going to parties or concerts or any of the things that I like to do without having a drink in my hand. And one of the most surprising things about sobriety is I'm not going to say it was easy, but I have learned to be much more confident and comfortable in those situations. As we said, it's still a work in progress, but where I felt like no one would want to hang out with me, I'd have nothing to say, my life would be over, people would stop inviting me to things, and that has not turned out to be the case. And so I just want to reassure anyone else out there who might be feeling that way, your social life is going to look different, and that's a good thing. (laughs) And you have a lot more power and control over what that looks like than you might think you do. So just have some faith in that knowledge, focus on getting sober first, and then you can focus on making your social life what you want it to be. And we've actually helped some of our students do this through many of the techniques that we teach around building confidence and using affirmations and and some other manifestation techniques that have totally transformed their social lives. So it is possible and it just 
takes a different kind of effort. You're not defaulting to who's just always there to drink with you. You're actually having to be much more deliberate about going out and making those connections and making the kinds of friendships happen that you actually want, that fill you up and make you feel like, wow, these are people I not only want to spend time with, but whose values I really respect and make decisions in in ways that inspire me. And that's a really beautiful thing. Yes. And people that you don't feel the need to drink to be comfortable around. It makes it so much easier versus having a group of friends that might be triggering because that's all you know them for versus people that actually respect you, you can converse with. And it's so much easier. You know, you don't really think about the drinking once you get into these relationships. Exactly. I do find the quality of friendships in sobriety is hands down so much better. Even if you spend an hour with somebody and, you know, you have coffee and it's an amazing time versus eight hours at a bar and you make all those plans that you have no intention on doing. It's just a quality versus quantity thing. Very much so. And I just have to shout out to you, Erin, my best sober friend by far. And thank you for your friendship because it's been really, really nice to be able to explore all of these questions with you. I know. I, you know, you and I met and we did get along right away. And this is just a true testament of what a friendship can be. That's right. (laughs) It's time now for our big sober energy tip, the segment of the show where we share an idea or technique to enhance your recovery. We hope today's tip helps make your recovery more joyful and you can share it with all of your friends. And today's big sober energy tip is to identify the energy vampires in your life. And I bring this up because I think that when I was drinking, I was a little bit of an energy vampire. Not too bad, but it's something that I recognize about myself. Kind of what I was saying earlier about just always wanting to be everywhere all the time, FOMO, FOMO, and, you know, just being so willing to jump in and help everyone. And it was not for the right reasons. And I'm sure some people could probably tell that, right? So I think it's also important that when we get sober, we recognize that there may be people in our lives who prior to getting sober, were really getting something out of us, right? And we don't necessarily have to judge those people or cut them out. I mean, maybe in some cases you do. But as a technique to really protect your energy and sobriety, we do need to be aware of who those people are and the ways that they deplete us. And that can look a lot of different ways. That could be putting a lot of pressure on you to drink so that you have to spend a lot of energy saying no or explaining to them why you don't drink anymore. In some cases, that looks like them maybe not pressuring you, but asking you to listen to them justify their own drinking. This is something that I've experienced a lot. People are like, oh, you're sober. That's cool. I mean, I drink a lot, but I think it's okay because da 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 And then you're just left sitting there listening to them rationalize their own situation, which clearly they have some inner conflict about, but feel like they need to assert themselves as okay. And that is not a way that a newly sober person 
or really any sober person or probably anyone really wants to spend their time. So that can be a form of energy vampirism. Someone just who just expects you to endlessly listen to their problems or complaining or gossiping about other people, or who's just an unreciprocal friend who just wants something from you all the time, wants validation, wants company, wants, you know, rides. It can be just any variety of any kind of wanting that feels unreciprocated can be a vampire situation. So the tip here is to really lean into our old friend boundaries. And this is boundaries, depending on the situation, can be time boundaries, place boundaries, context boundaries, and energy boundaries. What that might look like is maybe with certain people in your life, you only spend a a limited amount of time. Like I've got 90 minutes. I'm going to spend 90 minutes on the phone with this person, or I'm going to spend 90 minutes with this person total. And you communicate that really clearly ahead of time and you stick to it and maybe set up some guardrails to help you stick to it. Like maybe someone else calls you or you schedule something else right after, or you, you know, have something that sort of acts like a timer that cuts you off at that limit. Or maybe you only do certain kinds of activities with this person. Like, you only go to the movies or a play or something where the energy is directed on something else or like a concert, right? So that you're not necessarily absorbing that person's energy. The energy is focused elsewhere. Or maybe it looks like making a really intentional plan far in advance so you can prepare yourself. You can mentally get ready. You can do your inner, your own inner energy work. You can really limit your interaction prior to interacting with this person so that you don't go into it feeling depleted. Or maybe it looks like only hanging out with them in a group. So you're not the only source for the sucking of energy that this person might tend to do. It's also completely legitimate to end your friendship with that person. And to be honest, the friendship might just end anyway, because When people who are used to you not having boundaries with them and they're used to being able to really suck a lot of energy from you, suddenly find that that's no longer the case. You're setting boundaries and you're not giving them that energy. The likelihood that they are going to continue to come around actually goes down. So sometimes these things kind of take care of themselves, but if they don't, it's perfectly legitimate to either just say no when this person reaches out to you and maybe they'll eventually stop asking. Or if that doesn't feel comfortable and you just really want to be direct, you could say, you know, I appreciate you for so many reasons, but I don't feel comfortable continuing this relationship in my sobriety. Or I think that our friendship has reached a natural conclusion and I wish you all the best. That's a really hard thing to say is breaking up with a friend basically, but there are some circumstances where that might be necessary. So If that happens and you find yourself in that situation, don't feel bad about it. You're doing what you need to do for yourself. And that may be a hard thing, but it's also an example of choosing yourself that will have so many benefits because that is energy that you need to grow your beautiful sober life. And and you can't afford to give it away to people who are not enhancing your life and supporting you the way that you need to be supported.
hangover liberation method is based largely in the power of movement and meditation. So we carve out a little bit of time in each episode to either move or breathe or both. And today, Erin is going to lead us in a movement practice. We are going to work on a plank or modified plank or plank with a wall. So you can either do this standing, leaning, like placing your hands or forearms against a wall or on the floor, like a traditional plank on the mat or the floor. I'm going to say a few kind of options here. So some some people might have a visualization of what a plank is in their head, like a push-up position, but there are some small tweaks that can really make it so much safer and more effective. So this would actually be a good one to do with a partner, with a friend, so you could look at each other's form and just see if these tweaks are happening. So if you're on the wall, then your hands will be on the wall or forearms, but I'm gonna say as if we're mostly on the mat or the floor. So come on down to your first hands and knees. You're gonna have your wrists under your shoulders and then your knees under your hips. And if you find that the wrists do not like this, drop down onto your forearms, okay? And then the placement of the upper arms for all of us, even on the wall, is just gonna have the shoulder blades slightly drawn away from the ears, And if you're on your wrists, your arms are gonna have a slight sensation of externally rotating. So it's kind of like the arms, elbows rotate in towards the body a teeny bit. And in that, your shoulder blades will engage under the shoulder blades in a supportive manner. Then, if you're on the mat or the floor, let's reach one foot back so you're on your tippy toe this leg behind you is straight and then you're going to reach the second leg back so now you're in your plank however if that feels too much you can come down onto the knees but with the legs still extended behind you okay so the options on the floor would be on the knees or knees up on the forearms or on the wrists or any combination of those then we are just going to hold this and make sure your pelvis is not sticking up to the sky like a downward dog and not sagging to the floor so your low back feels unsupported. So you're gonna feel a little bit of lift of like the pelvic floor kind of scooping the abs in and up and then squeeze the glutes a teeny bit and maybe even think about those inner thighs slightly engaging in that area right under the seat. So as if your sits bones are drawing together. Let's make sure your head is not sagging down towards the floor, but rather it is in line with the spine. The back of the neck is long, not crunched back because the head's dropping to the floor. So the head is like an extension of the spine. And then with all that, we're going to just simply hold and breathe, big breath in through the nose and out through the mouth for five four, three, two, and one. Okay, excellent. You can then, if you were off your knees, gently put your knees down, push your hips back to your heels and do a child's pose stretch. We're also gonna stay here and just pretend as if somebody is gently pressing on your back as you take a few 
big inhales and exhales here. And if you are doing this with somebody, you know, taking a little turn, looking at each other's form, take turns with this as well. Just breathing into that person's hands in the back and exhaling it out. And then I would suggest doing that through two or three times. This is again, quality versus quantity. Much rather have you do one and hold it for three seconds and have your form spot on, then try to do a lot and just hold it for eternity because you're quote unquote supposed to hold it for a minute or something like that. So I'm open to any questions. Please reach out if you have any questions about this and yeah, go on with those planks. In planks as in friendship, quality over quantity, would you say, Erin? Most definitely. Way to, way to bring it on home. <laughs> Well, thank you all so much for being our friends today and spending your time with us. We so appreciate you as always. And if you are looking to get sober or you are already sober, but just feeling like your sober life could use an upgrade, feel free to reach out to us. You can learn more about our work at reverrecovery.com or follow us on Instagram at reverrecovery. We also have a free Facebook group full of wonderful people called Reva Holistic Recovery Support. And if you'd like to learn more about working with us directly, you can book a free visioning session by reaching out to us through any of these platforms. If you enjoy this podcast, we would so appreciate it if you could give it a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and write a review so other folks can find us. Thank you again for listening. And as always, cheers to you and your liberation. Bye-bye. Bye. The Hangover Liberation Society is a production of Feminist Hot Dog and Loudspeaker. This has been a listener-supported production of Loudspeaker Studios. For more on this and other programs, visit loudspeaker.org.